everybody and welcome back. Thank you so much for tuning back in. Hopefully you were able to check out our last episode with the most perfect person ever, Maggie Whistler. She talked about cycles and hormones and periods and taught both Carrie and I a lot, hopefully you a lot. If you have not listened to that, would 14 out of 10 recommend. Today she's back and she's going to discuss with us hormonal birth control and all of the fun that comes with being on it and the horror that comes with um, deciding to come off of it. So thank you so much, Maggie, for being our fountain of hormone information. Thank you for having me back. Yay. I'm so excited to learn. I'm really excited about this conversation. Our last episode, like Abby said, was a great overview and This can dig a little bit deeper into, I think, a very common situation for women, which is the hormonal birth control. Do either of you know how many women are on hormonal birth control in their lifetimes? I would suspect that that's a huge amount of our population that's on it at least some point in their life. I do know the exact number. I just don't have it on me at the moment. Oh, okay. Um, Yeah. But I was working, not working with, I was going to a naturopath um, up here. And right when I decided that I wanted to come off of it a few years ago, and I said, but when I went on it initially, it was like acne. It was a treatment that my dermatologist prescribed to me. And then I talked about my girlfriends that were on it because their cramps were so bad or their periods were bad, or, you know, they're going to start having sex, whatever it is. And he said, well, yeah, when you have a hammer, everything is a nail. And he was comparing hormonal birth control to being the hammer. It quote unquote fixes such a wide variety of things for women that you just give it to them and hopefully it fixes it. So Carrie, to go back to your question um, of how many women are on it, it may not be used just for what we think that it's normally used for. It can, it can, again, quote unquote, fix acne or hormonal hair loss or mood swings or whatever. No, you're absolutely right. Maggie, you agree, right? Hormonal birth control fixes everything. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Fix my life. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's so common for it to be prescribed for things other than contraceptive, uh, contraceptive. And I think that's, for me, where the problem lies. Like, I do think women should have access to birth control if they want to use it as a contraceptive. However, I also think women should be educated and informed of all of the options, one of them being not taking anything hormonally and using fertility awareness method and tracking your cycles. But most doctors don't have the time and they don't believe that women have the capacity to learn about their bodies. And that's the frustrating thing for me. So I don't, I'm not anti-birth control. I'm anti-not educating about hormonal birth control and some of the side effects that can come up from not only birth control, but then if you're, if and when you're ready to come off of it, there's a lot of side effects as well. Absolutely. So with that in mind, Maggie, what are some of those common symptoms or reactions for women who are going on or have been on for a while, hormonal birth control. Yeah. So it's interesting. The other day I was looking into this and I just did a Google search and I typed in birth control makes me 
And all of the auto suggestions are (laughs) tired, angry, hungry, nauseous, crazy, emotional, depressed, throw up. So this is definitely something that is affecting how women feel and their experience when their hormones are basically being cut off through taking hormonal birth control. Another component of that, I think, is when we go in to seek healthcare from a professional and we are dismissed all of these symptoms. Mm-hmm. No, it's not, it's not that. Here's an antidepressant. Here's another pill to like fix the problem. But really, we are cutting off our body's communication with us so that we can't get to the root of the problem. Right. I experienced most of those things and thought it was just me. Are there other natural remedies for the symptoms that can be caused by birth control? And what's the best way for someone to know whether or not the things they're experienced are even tied to it? Because I assume this episode is going to scare a couple of people and get them thinking about coming off of it. So how would you recommend they decide whether or not that's the best choice for them? Yeah, I think it's important to check in with why it is that you started in the first place. Were you prescribed this for really painful periods or heavy periods or acne or things that are not related to the actual purpose of a contraceptive? And if so, then it might be time to reconsider and try to get to the root cause of why you are having painful periods or acne in the first place. If it is for contraceptive purposes, before coming off, obviously you want to have something in place. So really just taking the time to learn about all of the options of birth control. There are ones that are non-hormonal. I mentioned earlier fertility awareness method. I know it's maybe controversial, but The pull-out method is a method for birth control if your partner is aware of what they're doing and, you know, you have trust in them. And obviously that's another conversation. Um, Yeah, just kind of educating yourself on all of the options and then moving forward with what you think is best. I love that you mention all of the options. And I know that one non-hormonal is the copper IUD. Does that still, in your opinion, carry with it possibility for disruptions within your natural cycle? Yes, there are definitely side effects of having a foreign object inside of your reproductive parts. And also with it being copper, right, that can affect your body's minerals. It can be scary to hear these things um if it's working for you and you're comfortable with it and things are great i this is not us telling you you need to stop taking hormonal birth control we're just sharing some things that we've learned or experienced ourselves but with that being said what are some reasons maggie that people may consider outside of symptom experience deciding to come off of hormonal birth control, even if they've been on it for years and years and years? Yeah. So I would actually say that some of the symptoms might be a reason, right? If it is really affecting your mood, your relationships, maybe your libido, your energy, if you're kind of noticing that things are off since you've started taking birth control, 
that would be a good time to check in, reassess. And then as you start to learn about it, you might just be curious about your own body. And so that could be a good reason to come off of it. So when you Google it, you might see that hormonal birth control is classified as a class one carcinogen. And that is a real thing. It is known and we are still prescribing it. (laughs) (laughs) Very widely. I wasn't driving yet because my mom was with me and I went to the dermatologist because my skin was really bad. And he tried to, wanted to prescribe me uh, Yaz or Yasmin, whatever it was. I was 13 and we didn't, I didn't know what it was. My mom didn't know what it was. So she, we were asking about it and found out it was birth control. And my mom obviously said no, because I was only 13. I don't even know if I'd had my period at that point, And I was about to go on birth control for my skin, but we ultimately wound up going another route. But I think when I started on it again, I was on it for 10 years or whatever it was. So I didn't know what my normal body or normal feelings or normal experiences were because I had been on it for so long. So to, you know, to check in with myself was foreign because I was experiencing the same thing I had been since I was 17 or 18. Right. I was thinking that too, Maggie, when you said if things have been off since you've been on it. And I was like, well, geez, there might be people listening who have been on it since they were 16, 18 years old and now are in their 30s or 40s. And how, like, did they ever know what was normal Mm. for them? You know, that's Mm. tough. Yeah. I can relate to that. That was my experience as well. I was on it, on and off it for probably about 10 years. For me, I, did not get a period when I was on the pill, at least. Mm. I switched to NuvaRing eventually, but um, it's technically not a period. It's just called a, a breakthrough bleed. But that should have been a good indicator that like yeah. this is messing up your body a little bit. Um, but it was kind of nice because I was you know, an athlete and mm-hmm. I ran track and I didn't really want to have to deal with the period. So I think there's still a way to like check in. Um, if it is something that you're interested in exploring and just kind of, yeah, is, is, are you experiencing anything like that? Have you not had a period in a long time? Like that's a good indicator that something is off in your body. As we start to transition off of it, or for those who are deciding or have decided or are already in the throes of what it means to come off of birth control, what are some things that, what can people expect? And what, for the two of you, what was your experience coming off of it? Yeah, people can expect the things that come up whenever we have a hormonal imbalance. Because for however long you've been on birth control, you've kind of cut off the communication between your brain and your ovaries. With the synthetic hormones going through your body, your pituitary gland, which is the gland that secretes the messages to tell your ovaries, okay, produce these hormones, it's shut off because it's getting signals from the body that you have those hormones already. So with that being shut off for however long, you need to rebuild that connection. That That takes about a week or so. (laughs) Sis, I'm on year two. (laughs) (laughs) It, It can take yeah, it can take around two years. It can take less than that if you are, you know, diligent and working on some things that we can maybe touch on 
But as far as symptoms go, you can probably experience some flare-ups with your acne or rosacea, psoriasis, that sort of thing. You might not get a period for a little while. You might get one and then it might be a few months before you get the next one. Like Again, we have to think of it like we're rebuilding that connection. It's like when you have a close friend from childhood and then you don't talk to them for a while, but then you <laughs> reconnect and it takes you a little while to like get, you know, get caught up on the things that are going on in their life. That's kind of how I think about the connection between your brain and ovaries needs to be reestablished. Um, so probably some mood swings, again, gut health might be impacted whenever you're coming off headaches and migraines and fatigue. <laughs> Fun. You know what? If everybody listening wasn't excited about stopping birth control now, they will be. It's only going to be two years from today, you guys, that you're going to start feeling better. I love that you use the metaphor of a childhood friend, though. Yeah. Making, yeah. Make, making friends with that natural cycle in your body again can only be beneficial to your overall well-being in my opinion i as we say with everything being more aware and acknowledging where you are in your body and how you're feeling is going to be beneficial mm -hmm. it was probably 18 months before my body regulated and i'm only on like the fourth where i can expect when my period's coming or my pms or my skin health that kind of thing but the first, I'll say year, it was like, you don't know your body. And my period tracker was all over the place. So it was like, why am I even looking at this? But it took me forever to get to a regular space. And uh, like you were saying, both of you, it's about being aware of, okay, this is why this, hap this is happening to me. It's not because there's something wrong with me. It's because I was using pills to skip a period based on when I was going on vacation and your body you know, those things are so unnatural. With all of that being said, Maggie, what do you have for us as far as um, resources or ideas on how to help alleviate some of those symptoms? Are there, is there a diet that we can follow? Are there supplements we can take? Should we just lay in bed and cry <laughs> for two years and hope that it goes away? Well, yes, crying is good. <laughs> you need to let out a good cry. It's definitely healing. Um, I do think first and foremost, it is good to set expectations like and pull in some of that patience because like we said, we're rebuilding this relationship and this communication within our body and that's going to take time. And it's also going to take time to learn that feedback and what that means for you and your body. It will take time, but not to scare you. It is worth it in my opinion. Um, so some things that you can do initially, I would say you probably want to replenish some nutrient stores because specifically the pill can deplete some nutrients in the body. And depending on how long you've been on it, you might be really low on um, certain B vitamins, zinc, selenium. And so supplementation can be supportive, at least in the very short term a quality multivitamin, magnesium, and even a probiotic just because the gut health is going to be compromised. And then from there, I would say addressing the main pillars of hormone balance. So I touched on this in the last episode, but blood sugar, supporting your detox pathways, gut health, and stress. 
So we can go into each one of those specifically, if that would be helpful. Yes, please educate us. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So blood sugar balance, a lot of us associate that with diabetics, but it's actually really important for everyone, not just cycling women. Every single human should create awareness around their blood sugar balance because when it's off, it can throw off a lot of other hormones. It's connected to a lot and we don't need to get into that specifically, but I think it's important to touch on some things we can do to support our blood sugar balance. First thing is eating within about 60 minutes of waking up and including at least 20 grams of protein. That's my top tip. That 20 grams of protein that first time you eat or at every meal. I would definitely include it at every meal and snack, not necessarily 20 grams, but being conscious to ensure that you're getting some protein. Because if you're just having a snack and it's just carbs, that is going to be more of a spike in your blood sugar and a drop rather than a steady curve. So thinking about protein, definitely in the morning when you first wake up, cortisol, which is our, I call it the anti-stress hormone, is highest first thing in the morning. That's actually what gets us awake and out of sleep. So we want it to be high, but we don't want it to be high all day because then we will be experiencing stress. So eating a really dense breakfast can help bring that cortisol down. Um, So eating every about three and a half to four hours. And for some people, that's probably like a shocker because they maybe don't eat their first meal until like one o'clock in the afternoon. But If you wake up and you're not feeling hunger within that first hour, that's a good indicator that your blood sugar throughout the day is not quite balanced. We can kind of push our bodies into more of a balance by eating every three and a half to four hours. It doesn't have to be a lot at first if you're not hungry, if you're not experiencing those hunger signals, but it can be a good way to rebuild that natural cycle of energy. The reason why that is, is because after about four hours is when your stomach is emptied from your previous meal. And now your body is seeking more glucose. So it will start to take it from stored glucose, which is not necessarily bad. But when we do that consistently and over time, it is actually a stressor on the body. Hmm. That's interesting. I think it's important to find a balance, right? I think I like to practice intuitive eating and like honoring my body's own hunger and satiety cues. But we also, when thinking about blood sugar, it is important to be nourishing consistently throughout the day so that our body is not under any stress related to that. Well, you just broke my heart, but also gave me hope. (laughs) So thank you. (laughs) Yeah, I know. One additional tip is the order in which you eat your meal. And this is a tip from Glucose Goddess at Glucose Goddess on Instagram. She's done a lot of research on glucose and blood sugar balance, and she's a really good resource. She shared that if you start a meal with vinegar, you can dilute it in water because it's pretty strong. That will affect the pH of your stomach and also help you get into digestion mode. 
before like a big meal, having a tablespoon of vinegar either by itself or in diluted in water. And then starting your meal with either leafy greens or vegetables, if your vegetable is not a leafy green. Then eating your protein and your fat, followed by your carbs. Now, this isn't always possible because sometimes our meals are just mixed. But if things are kind of separated and you have that option, eating in that order shows the lowest blood sugar spike in the meal. That's interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And digestive bitters are used throughout the rest of the world, basically. So I assume the vinegar is very much doing the same thing that other people, other countries use digestive bitter sprays or drops in their mouth before eating. I think hmm. it's similar, but I think bitters are great too, because they actually get the production of some of the enzymes that break down the mm-hmm. food going in your mouth so that as soon as you start eating and chewing, you're going to be digesting a lot better than if you had not used the bitters. So that's another good tip. Yeah. Yeah. Maggie, you mentioned earlier that the second pillar being our detox pathways and how we can support them. Will you speak to us a little bit on that? Yeah. So that is eliminating toxins either from your environment, but also your body and supporting your liver's phase one and two detox pathways. So environmental toxins we kind of touched on last time are going to be those endocrine disruptors. So trying to find ways to replace or eliminate or reduce those toxins from plastic, tap water, makeup products, cleaning products, that sort of thing. And then in terms of supporting your liver's ability to detox, um, making sure you're getting cruciferous vegetables, eggs, quality animal protein, citrus, berries, those are all going to be supportive foods for the liver. And also fiber, right? So when we think about eliminating from the body, from the bowels, the large intestines is semi-permeable, meaning things can be reabsorbed through the large intestines. If things are sitting there for too long or you're experiencing constipation, you can actually reabsorb some of those um, hormones even that are trying, a lot of hormones are excreted through the feces if you're not pooping consistently, it's going to be hard to eliminate. So um, making sure you're getting enough fiber during your day, hydrating, moving your body every single day, avoiding tobacco products or alcohol. Those are toxins for the body. And so finding ways to reduce or eliminate those are also going to support the liver. So blood sugar balance, figuring out how to eliminate the toxins that are inevitable or reduce the toxin load that we can, what are the next two pillars? Remind me, not that I wasn't listening. (laughs) (laughs) Gut health and stress. Perfect. So gut health, speak to me, Maggie. I, my (laughs) gut is not healthy. (laughs) Yeah. Gut health is a big one. It's definitely really big in research right now. The gut-brain connection. Ways we can support our gut health is, again, back to making sure we're getting enough fiber. It can be a little tricky if you have something like IBD or IBS where you have inflammation. You don't want too much fiber because that's going to be rough on the intestines. But 
Fiber is important because it feeds the good bacteria in our gut and we don't digest it ourselves. It makes its way all the way to the large intestines where the bacteria break it down and they excrete a byproduct called short chain fatty acids. And in the presence of short chain fatty acids, more bacteria, the good bacteria can can thrive. So it's like the right pH, it's the right environment. And so it's really this, it's like a positive snowball effect. So the more fiber you have, the more it's going to feed the good bacteria, the more good bacteria are going to just thrive because they're in a good environment. So definitely fiber. Uh, Second thing is potentially reducing inflammatory foods. So this is a little tricky because removing certain foods from your diet can feel very restrictive. And we want to make sure that you know we're not just taking away all of your favorite foods. So I think partnering with a nutritionist or an integrative practitioner on this is really important because you have to remove certain foods and then slowly reintroduce them in order to be able to pinpoint the ones that are causing your gut irritation. Outside of that, adding in gelatin or collagen, bone broth, things that are going to help support the junctions in your gut so that we don't have proteins or foreign objects coming in. And basically that's called leaky gut when you have gaps in the cell intestinal lining and things can get in there and then your body tags them as a foreign object. And so that's how you kind of create intolerance to this thing because Now, every time you eat it, your body thinks it shouldn't be in there. So gelatin, collagen, bone broth, they're not going to like fix your gut, but they do help support it in the process. There's also some really good herbs and nutrients, L-glutamine, slippery elm bark, chamomile. Those are really supportive. And then the last thing is probably reducing stress, which leads us into the fourth pillar. A lot of people, when they hear the word stress, they think just mental and emotional stress. Mm -hmm. Things that in your day-to-day life are causing your heart rate to increase and you to feel tightness in your chest. And yes, those are important to address with whatever you feel and you find is a good stress relief for you. So meditation, exercise, movement, journaling, all those good things, whatever self-care feels good to you making sure to prioritize that so that we can reduce our emotional stress. But there are other things in our life that cause stress on the body. I already touched on it with blood sugar balance. So if we're out of balance there, that's a stressor on the body. Undernourishment can be a stressor. The body thinks it's not getting enough nutrients or energy. So it's constantly having to pull from the stored energy. And then Exposure to toxins is also a stressor. Overexercising can be a stressor. Poor sleep quality or waking up at different times every day, your circadian rhythm is going to be off. So that's all connected to stress, which is kind of, that's why I say stress is like, it's like the base pillar because it's connected to the first three. A couple episodes ago, we talked about how when stress isn't, at least a little bit under control, everything else hits the fan. I mean, it's just, yeah, complete insanity in every other aspect. Maggie, would you agree that this is 
um, which pillar, if a listener was going to start working on one of them, which one would you recommend they start with? That's a good question. They're all important. I think I would say whichever one feels least overwhelming because you want to kind of lower the barrier of entry to making these changes because it can definitely feel like, oh my gosh, my whole life is messed up. I need to do a thousand things before I'm going to feel better. And that's not the case, right? We can start with like a quick win of what is the most approachable. Out of everything that I listed, what is sticking out to you? If you're like, hey, actually I can eat within an hour of waking up and I can add a Mm -hmm. protein source. Like that feels doable. Let me start there. It's going to be different for everyone. With this bonus episode being about hormonal birth control and those transitioning possibly off of hormonal birth control, what are resources or things that you would recommend beyond the patients and the care that we always encourage in every episode um, for people to take care of themselves? Yeah, definitely. On top of the books that I recommended in the last episode. So if you didn't listen, go back now and listen. You can also, I can recommend my a couple of my colleagues that I know are doing this work and doing it really well. So naturopathic Dr. Alicia Cole, she works specifically with active moms. I'm part of her team. I do nutrition and mindset coaching for her clients. And then Dr. Sarah Kelly, she is at the dot mindful dot doctor on Instagram. And she has worked with patients and she recently just created a course, Reproductive Reclamation, I think it's called, that is specifically for women coming off birth control and ways to support the body in that process. And outside of that, I have an Instagram for seed cycling and basically just for any menstruating human that is at seed cycling sisters you can check out. I need to be a little bit more active on it, but it's there. It's got some good evergreen yeah. posts. Well, you're about to get a million new followers. Yeah, <laughs> that's if you get half of our listeners. <laughs> Thank you um, so, so much, Maggie, for talking with us and educating us and making what can be an overwhelming thought process into something a lot more relatable and doable. You have inspired me to start paying a lot closer attention to my cycle, but also to the pillars you mentioned. I am not eating the way that I should be. So thank you for calling that out. (laughs) You didn't, I'm calling myself out, but you have been a wealth of knowledge for us and hopefully for all of our listeners. I can't imagine how you couldn't be for all of our listeners. So thank you for spending this time with us and doing two episodes. There's not going to be one person, male or female, that listens to this that didn't take something away from it. There were probably some eye rolls. There were probably some, ugh, I don't want to mess with it, or I like skipping my period on these pills, blah, blah, blah. But I know that everyone got thinking about something, and that's kind of the point. And I just think that you, like Carrie was saying, you just know your shit, and it's so nice to just have you come on here and just share what you study and what you're interested in. So thank you. Thank you both for having me. It was a pleasure. I'm just still crying this whole time because Maggie said it was okay. So I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> All right. Catch you on the flip side, weirdo human beings. <laughs>